0: Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name's Ben. I'm the part-time admin here at Servants Church, and um, I've been graciously let to do uh, theology studies as well part-time. So I'm studying at Union School of Theology. So, Luke chapter 8, would you like to turn there in your Bibles with me? We're looking today at the uh, parable of the sower. Those of you who were with us last week... Uh, or you can watch it online, may remember John taking us through chapter 7 and the power of forgiveness that that was. We'll link it to that. But read along with me from verse 4, and we'll pray and get into it together. So Luke 8, chapter 4. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, Some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it, and some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root, they believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for those in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, Hold it fast, in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has, will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Lord we thank you for this time again that you wish to expose us Lord by your word and challenge us but to bring us into a closer conformity with you a closer walk with you Jesus and a greater appreciation of just who you are and what you've done for us Lord we pray please Lord help us would we be doers of the word and not just hearers only and we pray against the power of the enemy Lord right now over this time and over our lives that he wouldn't Be able to snatch away, Lord, or steal, that you give us the full fruitfulness that you are seeking to produce in us. And we thank you so much for this time in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, where are we at? Even if you didn't see last week and go watch it, John's great as always. um, We've been forgiven. The the story of the woman who anointed Jesus' feet, he told her that your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. That's a great starting point. Um, And if you recognize you're in that place, that Jesus is in the place of forgiving you, and you're wondering what to do next, where does that lead in the Christian life? What's step two on our journey of following Jesus? Well, this is it. We get the parable of the sower. I want to challenge you to actually think of a better name than the parable of the sower. It will become apparent as we go through that I think the focus of the parable isn't actually on the sower. We had one suggestion from this morning actually. Someone came and said, I think the parable of the grower is better. See if you can beat that. Have a think. Come tell me afterwards. Um, But upon first inspection it could look kind of discouraging to see that there's four options here for responses to Jesus. And three of them are not the response he's calling for. There's three possible out of the four options to be the wrong way to see our God, the wrong way to respond to him, and just one way that he was most pleased with. So we can get discouraged in our ministry. We can get discouraged by how things look in the world, or our friends and family who just don't seem to be coming to faith for so long we may have been praying. but at the same time, we can be taking encouragement from the fact that there is a harvest, that is sure, and that Jesus will be the one responsible for it and for the fruit, that there are those who persevere to the end. So there's two things I want to just draw out before we get into the parables. Verses 9 and 10, um, Jesus is saying that it's, he's, the disciples have taken him offside a little later what were you on about with that parable we didn't really understand and he's trying to help them understand the secrets of the kingdom of god you may have heard this before but when we see that idea of secrets or mysteries in the new testament it's not something that's supposed to be kind of not understandable or clouded it just means something that was previously not able to be understood until jesus came until God's made it clear and then it's clear as day and so we might get ourselves tied up in knots, thinking, why is Jesus talking in parables um, for others so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand, quote from Isaiah there. It's not as if Jesus was going around trying to intentionally make himself unclear, unable to be understood properly by people. It's more that he knew beforehand what the result of his teaching was going to be in people. If you can imagine the scene um, of the kinds of crowds that have come to see him, town after town, it says, have have come out to see this exciting new preacher um, going on about interesting life stuff, the new John the Baptist, the new prophet. There's going to be all sorts of mixed motives there, all sorts of people lining up to hear him, and he knows that some of them are there for all the wrong reasons. Some of them have come with their prejudices, with their, their ideas of God, or no God already set, with hard hearts, with deaf ears, And he knows that they're not even going to bother to ask, seek, knock. They're already spiritually dead. They're mentally lazy. They can't be bothered to put this together. So it's like putting a slight hurdle in the path of people wanting to come to Jesus, which really isn't a hurdle at all if you're willing to just ask another question, seek him a bit further and learn some more. So we're glad you're with us if that's you and you're that place of not really knowing too much about this Jesus. Please stick with us and help us and follow us on the journey. There's so much more to see, as he wants to show you. The second thing before we get into the parables to be really clear about, what is the Word of God? Jesus tells us that in verse 11, that the key to understanding this parable is that the seed is the Word of God. Very important. Now, the people could have just left his talk and not heard it through the disciples later, wondering what was Jesus on about. Was he just giving me bad farming advice? I know how to sow my uh, seed. What's he on about, strange man? Um, but how would you describe the word of God if someone was asking you? Well, is it the what Jesus has been talking about so far in Luke um, that the kingdom is here? It's time to repent. Pledge allegiance to the King, Jesus himself, a new way of life is coming. Um, Is it his teaching then, Jesus' teaching, and the New Testament, the whole Bible, is that the word of God? Yes, but even more importantly, even more central, as we go through these different soil types, please bear in mind, we are talking about Jesus himself, his very person, he is the word. And he is God's final word to us, his final prophecy, the consummation of the entire Old Testament. Come to show us Emmanuel, God with us. He really is showing us God the Father. So please be thinking about, when we think about these soils, which one sounds a bit like my life at the moment? Which one sounds like people I know? How am I struggling? How does this line up with me? And also, what is it telling us about how we are seeing and meeting with the person of Jesus? We don't just present some truths about Christianity, do we? We don't just um, have good knowledge of doctrines. We have a relationship with our God, and that's who we're meeting. So, what is soil number one? Uh, Verse 12, those are the ones that fell along the side on the path, and Jesus tells us in verse 12, those are the ones who have heard, Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So the first thing to notice here is that these are people who don't even necessarily have to be hostile to the gospel. These sorts of people are maybe like what lots of the world out there is like. They're just apathetic to Jesus. They just see him as one path of many, possibly. No personal worth, no personal value there. He's good truth for you. That might be relevant for you, but it's not going to be my way. Is that how people see Jesus day to day in our culture, do you think? Well, what, what, are, what are we missing if that's Jesus to us? Well, um, they might be missing Jesus' claim, his claim of authority, his claim of truth, of exclusivity. And that is an immensely stumbling thing to talk about to people who aren't religious at all. To say that there could be one way to do things, well that's jesus for you he said i am the way the truth and the life no one may see the father except through me and he has been given all authority on heaven and on earth that could be a scary thing um, when you think about what kind of voices that you're letting in on a weekly basis who um, directs you who do you take advice from and listen to is it just yourself are you just pleasing number one all the time and it's me 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 maybe you listen to parents because you have to, um, trusted friend, you accept their advice, Um, but sometimes we don't agree with what they have to say, do we? Sometimes we don't like it if people challenge us, tell us we're wrong, but I guarantee you that would look a little bit different if it was someone in authority. What if if it's the policeman telling you that? What if it's the banks in charge of all your money telling you that? What if it's the queen telling you that? And you suddenly would start to take a bit more interest in every single word they're saying. You'd certainly want to listen a lot more clearly, knowing who they are and what they can do. But how much more are Jesus, who doesn't just have the authority, who isn't just the exclusive way, but he is our family man. He is the head of our family. He wants what's best for us, and he wouldn't be saying it if it wasn't for our mutual gain and pleasure as his body. So have they missed Jesus' claim? But soil number two, does this sound like you? Where are you at? Verse 13. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, Receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in times of testing, fall away. Well, what is that joy? What is that emotion that it sounds like they start off with? Does that sound like somebody you know? They once professed faith, they happily said at some point they loved and followed Jesus, and then it's just seemed to kind of wane and wax away, and they've kind of given up on it. They might even say they just don't believe anymore. Does that sound like people we know? They might have initially come to it with the excitement, like could be just the same really as choosing a new football team to support, getting hyped at the next big thing that the culture says is great, that's worth investing into, having seen the latest um, memes and videos that give us that bit of passing joy in in our life. But that isn't what Jesus is looking for, is it? What have they missed? It says at the end of verse 13 that it's when the time of testing comes that they fall away. Um, we should be upfront and honest about the cost that there is to following Jesus. He was upfront and honest. It's not just the gospel of love and forgiveness. He said very clearly, you will have some trouble in this life. If Jesus, as our master, was persecuted, we will expect suffering too. And he, he's called us to forsake our former life, forsake our family even, forsake our sin and change completely uh for in love to him instead so that's something that could be missed that hard work that commitment that cost that there it comes with following jesus it doesn't start off easy it doesn't get any easier ask any christian they can tell you so if that's if that's you listening today or watching later we would implore you as believers as people who have been walking with jesus there are still so much reward from getting to know him better he really does change your life for the better You see, when we decide to make that serious commitment to him, having counted the cost, he will be all the more serious about committing to us, not just for life, not just to make things better, but for an eternal relationship that's getting stronger and stronger, that's getting more and more beautiful as we learn to love and reflect one another. So, when I first started uni... Um, they gave us like a program, a schedule ahead of time. I knew that on my first day, I had some lectures to go to, some inductions, some information things that were important. Um, I clearly didn't think it was that important. I slept through the first couple of sessions and turned up late, late in the day, to the third or fourth session or something. Um, struck up a conversation with someone outside the hall as we we're waiting to go in, and I said, "Hey, I." Uh, so I, I missed like the induction and the previous sessions. Did I did I miss anything like important? Can you let me know what, should I have learned something from those times? What did you learn? And he said, Oh, it's fine. There's probably nothing too important. Um, but may, you know, well, you should actually be able to identify your head of course, the person who's in charge of your whole subject. So I said, Oh, okay, good, good. So who who, who is that? Can you tell me? And he said, Well, oh, uh, that's me actually. <laughs> So I, I couldn't even, no words even came out. I just felt royally embarrassed. Um, and he just, before he turned and walked away, he it's always stayed with me. He said, start as you mean to go on. And that was quite challenging, and it was a poor start. Uh, but in, in the Christian life, um, do count the cost. It is a serious thing. Start as you mean to go on, but it gets uh, full and joyful, as we can tell you. So... Soil one and two. Does soil number three sound like you? What's that? Uh, Verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Now, this this is the main part of what I found immensely challenging with this whole parable. Jesus is such a master of teaching and he had the benefit that every pastor would love to actually be able to see into people's hearts. Um, he, everyone fits into one of these four camps. No one is allowed to be option number five. There isn't one. You're going to find yourself being challenged in some of, the, in some of these in some way. And when we look at how we've been spending our lives, what have we been worrying about this week? What's been taking up our time? Where are our affections? What's the thing that draws us to them? Where do we find those moments of pleasure? What do we do in our rest? And I've had to be so honest before God and admit that uh, in my soil, in my heart, where there's been the a seed growing up, maybe my devotion for God is about as high as this lovely little decorative plant here, only so high. And how do the cares of the world look to me? How do the weeds and the thorns growing up look? They're three times as high. They're as big as the canopy of a rainforest. And it just looks a mess in there. It could do with a real weed whack. So does this sound like you? I've taken this from Spurgeon, but this is symptoms of soil number three. Do you, are you uh, someone who has doctrine without feeling? Experience without humiliation? practice without heart love faith without repentance confidence without reservation action without spirituality zeal without communion and again as i'm being honest with myself many of my days of the week look like look like a lot of these things just getting on with life, just serving, just doing it. But where is my heart at? Where are my motives at? Where are the things that I actually desire to do? That's all over the place. So what is it we're missing as believers? If this sounds like you, if this is striking a chord with you, well, I think that we are missing Jesus' communion, just like that last bullet point was, zeal without communion. Because one of the things that's really holding us back is not to believe that we accepted that seed, that word of God, once, and that was it, and that's all we needed to do, and we're good and saved now. I was soil three, God. I'm all right. That's all good. No, we can't just be um, presenting ourselves as people who've done something in the past. We need to be asking, what has that word of God been driving out of us? Have we planted the seed, but are we actively tearing out the weeds? We need God's help with that. This is why we need to be in that co-union with him. That moisture that we need, that churning of the ground that we need, that growth that comes, that is all the work of his spirit in us. That is not something we can produce. No wonder our fruit doesn't mature if we're not even wanting it to, if we're not even asking for Jesus' help. We're so dependent on him, aren't we, really? When we admit it, when we run back to our old ways, when we forget him, we're just like, we sometimes feel like we haven't changed much From the day we first became a christian it is that more time with him that's going to produce in us a desire to grow in love for him to grow in love for our neighbor for our family how does that look in practice well we get the illustration of that in soil number four this is where i'd like to be what does jesus say soil number four looks like as for that is verse 15 as for that in the good soil they are those who hearing the word Hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience." My, uh, I'm informed that the Greek here is a lot stronger in its force than the English translation we get. These terms, honest and good, they could be much stronger, noble and honour. And it's like devoting your entire being towards going towards a goal, towards the aim that you've got in sight, moving everything you've got for that being totally devoted to Jesus and not just bearing fruit with patience like, well, okay, so maybe I don't see any change in my Christian walk at first, but it'll come later. Actually, it's perseverance, as some of your translations might say, again, through those hard times, through Jesus shaping us. And it's not something that we do. God isn't interested in our fruits, okay? He's not interested in seeing how much We are so much better than we used to be. He's interested in our hearts, in our faith, in commanding the attention and the affections of our heart. The fruit is his work. The fruit will come. That's what he does in us and through us. He's not interested in our hands and our works, first and foremost. So, I'm going to take this as an opportunity to have us think about our response to this. I'm going to ask you to think about this week, as you remember, some people who sounded like one of those earlier soils, or maybe you're in that place. Could you be praying for someone? Could you ask someone else to be praying alongside you for someone who seems to have fallen away from where their faith used to be? Someone who is just sizzling in the sunlight with no moisture, seemingly, someone who's been had their seeds snatched by the by the enemy, someone who's choking by the cares. And the burdens of life what can we be doing to actively hydrate ourselves with jesus's very presence well are we even letting jesus's voice get drowned out by life do we allow all the noise of other people of what the culture and the world is telling us to be on the same volume as jesus in our lives how can we be creating more time and more space or converting time and space that we already have into a way that would invite him and what he has to say in... And if you find yourself in that place of struggling, choking on life's worries, lusting after the pleasures of this world, do share that with someone in your church family. We want to help you get through that together. We're here. Share that with someone you trust. Now, this uh, section... The parable and the interpretation does end at verse 15, but what do the next verses have to tell us and inform us about the parable? Well, when we look at verses 16 to 18, this lamp uh, being covered, the secrets being made manifest, it's very clear what this has to do with the parables. You might wonder, why is that next? Why did Jesus say that next? But it's very clear in verse 18. He says, take care then how you hear, To the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. You see, the point of what he's saying here with not hiding light, with things that are hidden coming to the surface, is that Jesus exposes the soil of our hearts by our actions. You see, I don't need to be Jesus and look into your hearts and see what's going on in your lives. Our actions, what we do with our time, is going to show what we value, what we speak about is going to show what's on our hearts. How we live is, um, our, is the window into our soul. And so we should be asking ourselves, are we moving forwards or back? It can sound a bit puzzling, this verse 18, about getting more and losing what you think you have, but what Jesus is saying is that there's no standing still in relationship to him. We're either growing closer to him or we're drifting away, just like with someone in our family, just like a friend. And the gifts that he has, that he's growing in us, the gifts of love, the gifts that benefit and bless our church family, they're either being exercised or we're losing them. So it's its a challenge. It is a real challenge, how we're living. And it's, it is said, um, that an architect offered to build a house for Plato um, where all the rooms were completely enclosed. There was no way to see in. He could be in total secrecy and privacy in there. Uh, But he said to the architect, I'll pay you double if you make it so that all men could see into my house at all times. Uh, If I think about my life over lockdown, i would have been very uncomfortable if people were able to see in. there was plenty of time wasting plenty of um serving the self and that is just a real um opportunity for the enemy to get in and to snatch that seed and for for my relationship to have not been more and more fruitful and more and more growing with god and that is a real um burdening thing we don't want to get to the end of our lives we don't want to get to when we've Meet Jesus face to face and have him say to us, you had the seed, you had so much potential, but what did you do with it all? But that's where we get to our sure and great hope. Christ, our steady anchor. What do we see in the following verses, verses 19 to 21, about Jesus' true family? You see, it, it brought no benefit to be tied to Jesus in the flesh to be able to claim some blood relation to him some ancestry to him that doesn't mean anything Jesus is saying the people who are really in my family are the ones who hear my word and who do it but i i hear you saying that on the one hand i don't even feel like i hear from jesus at the moment it's been so long since he's It felt like he was speaking to me. On the other hand, I just locked down and the worries of life are just killing my motivation. And I feel like I don't even have have the strength to respond to him. I do feel like I know what he wants, but it's just not working out in my life. Well, this is what we uh, get to think about as we come to a time of communion, that Jesus was already motivated for us to go to the cross, to pay that price, to bring us and adopt us into a family in a way that we didn't deserve, in a way that we couldn't have done in our our own strength. That is the beautiful thing, is that he's already provided every spiritual blessing and resource for us in Christ. And it's a wonderfully sure place to know that we are in his family. There's all the support, and there's all the resources, and there's all the love that comes with an earthly family, multiplied by hundredfold when you're in Jesus' family. We get the love of, and the forgiveness of the Father. We get the participation in Jesus' nature. We get the Holy Spirit who works in us and through us every day, conforming us to his image. And that is a beautiful thing, and that is an encouraging thing, that we are not just left like a dry field, and we're being pointed at and judged by God for not producing anything good. No, he's going to do what's good, and it's to his glory. And we get to say that we are brothers spiritually, sisters spiritually, his family. He's inviting us into that. Can you say that you are Jesus' family? Just that piercing question. Can you say that you're in Jesus' family? Do you know what his love is like? Even if it feels like a long time ago since you've heard or done, he wants you in it. He's inviting you in it that the God who wants something to do with us is constantly moving towards us. He's made that effort already. We get to just join up with him. And if you aren't in a place where you're able to say that I've never known a love like yours, Jesus, a love that beats death, a love that has moved heaven and hell to be with us, then take this time to consider it. Today could be the day of salvation for you. Jesus wants you in his family. And for those of us who know that he loves us, for know, who know that we're forgiven, who know that we can call ourselves a member of his body, I wanted to bring out my final point, that our fruit only blossoms in relationship to Jesus' family. It's for our good. It's for the good of his family. It's for the good of the world. That who we are and what we do reflects his glorious and reconciling work that will subdue the whole earth into his great design and i'm just going to read the words of john 15 3 to 5 already you are clean because of the word that i have spoken to you abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So, Lord, we just present to you ourselves afresh. And as we consider where we're at, Lord, and we consider the soils of our heart, thank you that you have already borne the uh, penalty, borne the pain, Lord, and you took the crown of thorns, Lord, onto your head as they placed you on that cross. Thank you, Lord, that by your power and by your uniting spirit, you want us as one with you and you will sanctify us as we persevere in faith. Thank you that the fruit is yours, the beginning of the word is yours, everything is your glory all the way through. Well, I'd like to leave you with one closing um, thought as you revisit your relationship with Jesus this week. Just challenge yourself with whatever activity you're up to, with whoever you're relating with, whoever you're around. Just ask yourself, does how I'm spending my time protect and nourish my relationship with Jesus? Or is it doing the opposite? Is there some way that it could be if we invite him in? Well, thank you for sitting so patiently, so lovingly. Um, thank you for tuning in, wherever you are. We hope you enjoyed being part of this time. and have a great rest of the weekend Sunday. Thank you.) Thank you.